Today's lesson is written in the third chapter of Ephesians, beginning with the 14th verse. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jessica. As we enter back into the book of Ephesians together and into this text, uh, some of you might recall who were with us last weekend that as the Apostle Paul uh, was using mixed metaphors, in particular in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and as now we come into chapter 3, he continues that same practice. Last week, he introduced the, the idea of one foundation. So he had this architectural image of one foundation. Now, if you're not into architecture, I have good news, because he gives us an agricultural image this week, to be rooted And because he wants us to make sure that we get it, if ag is not your thing and either is architecture, then if you're into finances, then he gives us a financial image in today's text about where your resources come from, the treasures of God. We get all kinds of metaphors in today's text and we'll explore some of them Together, but it leads me to ask whatever metaphor we're using this same question. Do you, are you, when are you grounded? Where are you grounded? And when or are you now unhinged? How do we go from that kind of grounding to being unhinged? Or how can we, despite whatever might be coming at us, stay in that place of grounding? And what Paul prays for, and this is a prayer beginning in verse 14, is that we would not just know intellectually as some sort of philosophy or intellectual uh, undertaking, but that we would actually interpersonally and relationally in our life experience the love of Christ. And when we're loved, Paul is telling us, this is the grounding. This is the rooting. This is the unending resource. This is the place where we can, we can make it through any storm. That not even our own faults and our own weaknesses 
can separate us from this incredible love. He is praying that you and I, that the church then and now the church today would experience this kind of love. Are you grounded? Or are you unhinged? Since the Apostle Paul is using so many metaphors, I thought it'd be okay to throw in one of my own. So I grew up around boats. I grew up around boats in the Pacific uh, Northwest and the Puget Sound, and uh, most of the time, sometimes on lakes. But one of the things that we experience on boats, well, the truth is, we experience just about everything that can go wrong on a boat. Let me give you a few examples. We probably more on one more than one occasion ran out of gas. So we had to paddle in. Oh, we've been out on the boat when the prop hit something and knocked it off or damaged it, so we had to paddle in. We've been uh, out on the boat when the engine completely went out. And you are getting the pattern here. We had to paddle in, right? I've even been out on the boat with my family when the engine went out and we forgot the paddle. On one occasion, actually more than one, there have been times when, you see, the thing is, is no matter what goes wrong on a boat, you're okay as long as it's still floating, right? But then when water starts coming in on the boat, that's a bad thing. And so you have this thing called a bilge pump that pumps out the water. The idea is to get the water out of the boat faster than it's coming in, right? One occasion, that wasn't happening, so we were trying to get to shore faster than the water was coming in. But what I want to share with you is this. There's a pastor who is preaching about this text. And uh, at the end of the week, I happened to, after spending a lot of time in this text, listen to his sermon on it, and, and he captured an important piece of what we're hearing here, and that piece is, what is it that is keeping us? Why is Paul driving home this message in so many different ways about God's love for us, that we would experience it? Why is he praying so fervently? Why is he bringing it back in chapters 1, 2, and now in chapter 3? And it's because we often, for many reasons, don't really believe that we're loved, And he articulates that there's two reasons for that. One, because of our sin. Often because of our own brokenness. We don't believe that we're worthy to be loved. And other times, because of the circumstances of life, it seems like, well, God must not love us because this is happening. And so whether you are on a boat that feels broken down, and whether the circumstance of that 
ill-fated journey is because of something you've done that's let water into the boat, your sin, or whether it's because there's a storm around you and the water is coming over the bow and it's not of your own doing, circumstance, What I want you to hear today as we come into this text and what I think Paul is praying for us to hear is that neither your sin nor the circumstances around us can keep us from God's love. So let's take a few minutes, just a few, and look at these verses. In verse 14, it begins with this phrase, for this reason. Now what he's doing is he's tying us back as he begins this prayer and what he's just been talking about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now more specifically, he's taking us right back to verse 1 that also begins with, for this reason. And then between verse 1 and verse 14, he goes on kind of a sidetrack, important note about his credentials. And now here in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow down to the Father. And he uses this interesting word play in Greek in verses 14 and 15. This word in Greek that sounds a lot like each other, the word for father and the word for family. And he's letting us know that there's a new archetype, archetype for what love and where love comes from and who it comes from. And by the way, it's interesting, God the Father is mentioned, I think, in every chapter in the book of Ephesians. This God who created us loves us like a good father regardless of your sin or whatever circumstance your family may be in, this family of God is loved from God the Father. And then he tells us that he's praying to this loving God, who, this Father who loves us like a, a good father should love their children. He tells us this by saying he's praying by bowing down. And that's a little unusual. Because in, in Jewish practice at the time, in Judaism in the first century, and in Christian practice, and we did it here even here this morning, it was more common to pray standing up. The posture of prayer was standing. Now, it wasn't unknown to them to ever pray bowed down, but it was less common, this prone position. This humility, this position of humility. You see, I can't help but think that in yet another way, the Apostle Paul, the the text here is showing us that we don't come to the Father by anything that we bring. We come humbly to this loving Father who loves us, not because of circumstance, not because of our goodness, but all because of who he is. He loves us. We get more into that, and I think kind of revelatory of our account before God with this next metaphor that shows up in verse 16. 
according to everything you've done. No, that's not what it says. According to the riches of God. According to everything that he has done. One old commentary puts it like this. It's like you have access. Your account is linked to Fort Knox. It's not your ledger, it's God's. And so it's not what you've done or what you haven't done. It's what God has done. That's the account that you are loved based on. His great riches. Now start to pick up on the snowball effect of these metaphors. You're grounded in one foundation in Christ. You're rooted in Christ. The riches that he loves us from is from his account. From a loving father who loves his children. And then we hear Paul praying in verse 17. That we wouldn't just know this, but that we would experience it. That Christ would, one translation says, dwell. Or the aorist verb there, one scholar puts it like this. That Christ might take residence in your hearts. God wants to take residence in your hearts. The Spirit's job, one of its jobs, his job is to lead us to Jesus. And that Jesus would not be some far out idea out there, but he is God. And he wants to take residence in our hearts. Not based on your account, but based on God's. This is the way that he wants us to experience God's love. You are loved. Now, if you might be wondering, well, what about this bad thing that happened to me? Doesn't it seem like God is just ignoring me? Or this bad thing that is happening in our world today? Doesn't it mean that, that, that God doesn't really love us if he's letting this kind of thing happen? Well, then we get to verses 18 and 19. He gives us yet another metaphor to give us a, a picture of the love of God. He says that the breadth and depth and height and length of God's love It's more than we can imagine, more than we can get our heads around. It's immense. One scholar pointed to similar language, and I think this is interesting. Similar language to this kind of description of God's nature in another book in the Bible. In Job. Job 11, I believe, specifically. I find that to be interesting because Job's circumstance, if you have ever read uh, the book of Job, you know it's not all rosy and fun. 
Job lost everything. He lost everything. Family members died. He lost his business, his riches. He lost everything. And in that context, Paul, being a faithful student of the Old Testament, had to have known when he wrote those words that he wasn't the first one to write some of them. Echoing the circumstance of Job, whatever circumstance we may be in, it cannot, as Paul will write elsewhere, separate us from the love of God. And so, whether it's the brokenness of our own sin that keeps us from knowing the love of God, knowing that that account of ours is pretty low, or it's the experience of life that is sometimes feeling like the water's coming in faster than I can pump it out, God says to us here in this text, neither of those will separate you from the love of God. He wants Jesus to take residence in your heart. Now, I know this is sometimes hard for us to receive. I was driving home last night after preaching this text, after spending all week living in this chapter, in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And I, I found myself thinking, hmm, do I know that God loves me? Do I experience the love of God? So often, we want to do it based on our own account or based on the circumstances around us, but neither are what God is using to communicate his love. The person of Jesus, who the Spirit is bringing to the forefront of our mind. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that does this work that lets us know that he can take residence in our hearts. Let's get to the end of this passage now. Verse 20 and 21. It's some call the doxology of this prayer because it ultimately gives glory to God. Listen to it again. These, in particular, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. If there's a verse to memorize this week, I don't say this very often from the pulpit, but that's it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, we can even ask or think according to the power at work within us. What power at work in us? It's Jesus who takes residency in our hearts. That's the power. It's not you. You are loved. I am loved. And that changes everything. We receive that gift of grace 
that Jesus poured out for us on the cross. And we know that we are loved and we can sustain that in any circumstance. And God is doing this in us. And as we get to verse 21, as he talks about the church, we find out that he wants to also do it through us together as a body of Christ known as the church, that we share that love with one another and we share that love as we talked about here on Mission Weekend with our neighbors and our family and the friends and all those in our city and the world around us to hear this good news of the gospel. This is the work of God. One scholar said about verse 20, more abundantly than all that we ask or think, he says this, it's impossible, catch this, it's impossible to ask God for too much. He is doing this work. I'll close with a, a story that I was reminded of by that same pastor who was talking about sin and circumstance. It's a well-known pastor a story about a well-known theologian by the name of Karl Barth. Karl Barth was one of the most eminent theologians in the 20th century. At one point, he was friends with a well-known Lutheran theologian and pastor and martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They weren't always in agreement, but they were uh, friends. Karl Barth is not known for his brevity, right? He wrote over 50 volumes of theological work. Someone added up, I don't know who has the patience for this, but someone added it up, and it was at least 6 million words that he wrote. 6 million. Then one of his students said to him, Sir, could you sum it up in a sentence or two? (laughs) Takes guts, don't you think? And Carl says this. He said, well, actually, yes, I can. I can sum it up in the words of a song that my mother taught me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And no one ever accused Karl Barth of being uh, too oversimplifying things. But here, he lets us know it's pretty straightforward. That's what the Apostle Paul is letting us know. He, he is praying that Christ would take residency in our hearts and that we would know and experience the love of Christ, and then share that with one another and with the world around us. And so I am praying today that that is so for you. Whether you're praying it for the first time that Christ would take residency in your heart or for the thousandth time, I pray that Christ would take residence in your heart and that you would know that you are loved. Let it be so today. Let it be our prayer that Christ may take residence in our hearts.
Amen.